Good morning. You guys are so friendly. Um, we'll be turning to God's Word now, so please grab your Bibles. We will be in Psalm 107. Psalm 107. If you're looking for Psalms, it's somewhere in the middle of your Bible. And then you turn to the 107th Psalm. Psalm 107, we will be reading the whole Psalm. Give you just a couple more moments. I know the big screens aren't working, so you actually need to pull out your Bibles. <laughs> Psalm 107. This is what Holy Scripture says. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. 
Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on, its, on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, even just now, reading your word, we are refreshed. Thinking about all that you have done. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. So we ask that you would help me to preach with clarity. It's not about what I say, it's about what your word says. As was prayed before, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand how truly good you are, that we would respond as we ought to. Please bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's a long weekend, and I, for one, am thankful. But living in a multicultural city is no surprise that not everyone celebrates the tradition of Thanksgiving. But even though we don't all celebrate Thanksgiving, I think it's safe to assume that we all appreciate giving thanks. Gratitude is one of those things that is universally acknowledged and appreciated on some level, even if we have differences about how we acknowledge or express it. To prove my point, I will enlist the help of two well-respected medical sources, the Harvard Medical School and Dr. Seuss. So the Harvard Medical School writes this, Gratitude is a way for people to appreciate what they have instead of always reaching for something new in the hopes that it will make them happier or thinking they can't feel satisfied until every physical and material need is met. Gratitude helps people refocus on what they have instead of what they lack. And although it may feel contrived at first, this mental state grows stronger with use and practice. So according to the Harvard Medical School, gratitude helps people appreciate what they have instead of what they don't, and it's something that people can grow in. So that's what Harvard says, but more importantly, what does Dr. Seuss have to say about this? Thing one, thing two. Two thankful things. They're thankful for what each day brings, for things to learn, 
for things to make, for glue to fix them when they break, for stories too and games to play, the things are thankful every day. For each other, for surprises, for creatures of all shapes and sizes, for trees and leaves and a pie or four, there's so much to be thankful for. But most of all, things one and two are thankful for a friend like you. Now, we know Dr. Seuss was a children's author and not a real doctor, but his insight here is in line with the Harvard Medical School and indeed with Christian thinking. We should be thankful every day because there is so much to be thankful for. But the problem is, even though giving thanks is universally accepted and medically attested, we often struggle to do it, or at least to do it well. My hope is that our message this morning will help us to cultivate grateful hearts that go beyond a simple holiday, and it becomes a defining mark for the rest of our lives. As we look at our text today, what we will see is that we are called to give credit where it's due. And in order to do that, we need to reflect, respond, repeat. So if we are to give credit where it's due, we first need to reflect on the steadfast love of God. What it is, after all, what the psalmist gives as the reason to give thanks. The opening verse in verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The Bible often talks about God's steadfast love, so what is it? Simply put, it's an expression that summarizes God's unwavering commitment to those he has chosen to draw near to. Because God is true to himself and true to his word, he is faithful to do what he says. His love is loyal. So the psalm begins by calling us to thank God for his love. But how does it end? If you look at the last verse in verse 43, it says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. The psalm ends like a proverb, showing the difference between wisdom and folly. Wisdom calls us to consider the steadfast love of God to reflect on it. It sees the evidence and reaches the reasonable conclusion of giving credit where it's due. Folly, on the other hand, refuses to be reasonable. Like Paul says in Romans 1, in spite of the evidence all around to reflect on, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Friend, no matter what your IQ or GPA is, according to the Bible, only a fool says in his heart, there is no God in spite of the evidence. The call to trust in God and to thank him isn't a call to blind faith, but rather it is a reasonable conclusion from the evidence all around us. But since we're called to consider this steadfast love of God, let's look at how the psalm portrays it for us. The way the psalm is structured, after the introduction in verses 1 to 3, we are given four scenes of God's steadfast love on display. 
Because the introduction talks about the redeemed being gathered from all directions, some commentators think that the historical context here is when God's people returned from exile. But even if that were the case, given the different scenes that we are shown, it's probably best to assume that the psalm was written to have a more general application calling God's people from all walks of life to consider how he has shown his steadfast love to them in different circumstances. Now, unfortunately, because of time, we won't be able to go through all the details of each of these scenes, but don't worry, verse by verse isn't the only way to do expositional preaching. If we had to summarize the examples we read, verses 4 to 9 gives us the first scene, which shows people in need of safety and provision. The next scene runs from verses 10 to 16 and shows people in need of deliverance from bondage. Verses 17 to 22 is the third scene, and an affliction brought the people close to death. And the final scene, verses 23 to 32, shows us sailors who almost drown at sea. In each of these scenes, we find different circumstances, but what each of them have in common is where the people find their hope. There are two lines that are repeated in each of these scenes that gives this psalm its structure, and one of those lines marks the turning point in the scenes. We find this repeated line called a refrain in verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, and verse 28, where we read this, Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. One thing to note from these examples is that bad things don't always happen because of sin or because of something that you might have done wrong. For example, in the fourth scene about sailors, it just shows regular people doing their thing at a typical day at work when things went really bad for them. Can you relate to this? Can you recall when you found yourself distressed and in serious need of help, whether it was your fault or not? Do you recall that sense of helplessness? When you weren't sure if your loved one would make it through the night? Or that day when that one phone call or text or conversation shattered your sense of stability into a million pieces? Or those low moments that even though you dared not say it out loud, you wondered if there was any point in living. How did you make it through? How are you here today? Now I know we have been thinking about some extreme examples because that's what the psalmist gives us. But God shows his goodness and care in many different ways. It's his kind providence that preserves and provides for us. It's his diligent hand that disciplines us in our sin to bring us back to repentance. It's his wise foresight that orchestrates challenging seasons to remind us of our dependence on him. And ultimately, it's his unwavering commitment, his steadfast love that keeps a watchful eye and an attentive ear on his people. The psalmist calls us to give credit where it's due. But to do that, we first need to reflect on the steadfast love of God to those who draw near to him by faith. And this reflection isn't only restricted to our individual lives either. 
After all, this psalm shows us different ways God showed his steadfast love. Some wandered in desert wastes, verse 4. Some sat in darkness under the shadow of death, verse 10. Some were fools through their sinful ways, verse 17. And some went down to the sea in ships, verse 23. But they all cried out to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. What this means is that we can reflect on how God has proven faithful, not only to us, but also to those we know, and to the historical witnesses, both in the Bible and beyond it. And let that orient our hearts to give credit where it's due. So do you take time to reflect on the steadfast love of God? You should. Reflecting on God's steadfast love gives the confident assurance that you can count on that same love today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life. If he is faithful to listen to your cries for help before, he won't ignore your pleas for mercy now. But it's not enough to just reflect. See, reflection needs to lead to action. So if we're going to give credit where it's due, we next need to respond to the steadfast love of God. And one of the ways we do this is by thanking him for it. It's pretty straightforward, right? Our society is one that loves recognition, both receiving it and giving it. For example, those recognized as contributing to the benefit of mankind, I'm not sure how people gauge that, but they're given the prestigious Nobel Prize. Actors are awarded Oscars, musicians, Grammys, sports athletes are recognized by MVP awards and jersey sh- Jersey sales, and even influencers on Twitter, formerly known as X, are recognized through followers and retweets. So doesn't it make sense then that the greatest contributor to humanity and the most creative mind should be recognized? Who's wearing his jersey? Who's retweeting his words? He's in a category of his own, so the only award award fitting for him is worship, your deepest affection, your highest allegiance, your utmost praise. See, when we talk about the Thanksgiving holiday, two things typically come up. Some say it's a celebration of a bountiful harvest, while others say it's a day of gathering with family to give thanks for their well-being. But here's a question for you. Who is responsible for the harvest? Who has kept you and your family? The doxology gives you an answer. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Listen to what Psalm 65 tells those who are thankful for a bountiful harvest. The psalmist, writing and talking to God, says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its forests abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. You, 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 
you. The psalmist celebrates a harvest but leaves no room to doubt who provided for it. And as for your family, the Bible tells us that in God, we live and move and have our being. That basically means that the very next breath you and your loved ones take are a gift from him and not something that you're owed. We should give thanks for these things. But friend, don't you see that thankfulness makes no sense if it isn't directed to someone? Thankfulness is an expression of the gratitude you feel, but that gratitude and its expression has to have a focus. Wanting to show appreciation is definitely a step in the right direction, but the statement, I'm thankful for, fill in the blank, is incomplete without recognizing who is responsible for the blessing you've received. I mean, think about it. Imagine the next time you held the door out for someone, and they said, gee, I'm so thankful this door stayed open for me. What would you think? Or maybe you spent time and labored and cooked an elaborate meal, and your family says, wow, isn't it wonderful that this meal just appeared on our table? Even if you didn't do it for recognition, wouldn't that be weird? It would be even worse if there was no gratitude or someone else was appreciated for something you did. The psalmist calls us who have experienced the steadfast love of God to set the record straight. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so. I mentioned earlier that there are two repeated lines or refrains that run in the psalm, and we've already looked at the first one. The second refrain comes at the end of each of the scenes and calls those who have been delivered by God to respond. And we find these in verse 8, verse 15, 21, and 31, where it says, Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. One of the ways we respond to to the steadfast love of God is by thanking him for it. This is a call to give credit where it's due because we are rightly recognizing that God is the source of all that is good. He is the fount of every blessing. He is the one from whom all blessings flow. Whether it's deliverance from distress or a bountiful harvest, it comes from his hand. Right into the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul rebukes them and says, What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And to the Ephesian church, he says that we should be given thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always and for everything. We'll need to think a bit more about that later, but we see that giving thanks to God is always appropriate because we are always benefiting from his blessing. Now, this doesn't mean you don't rightly show appreciation to those who God has used to bless you, but it means that that blessed thread should lead us all the way to the heavenly Father who, both, who sends both rain and sunshine on the wicked and the righteous alike. We respond to the steadfast love of God by thanking him for it. But we also respond by telling others about it as well. 
I mean, we typically like to talk about things that we enjoy or appreciate, right? Whether it's a tasty treat or a popular podcast, a moving movie or some awesome anime, we often share our experience with others. And when we do this, it not only adds to our appreciation of those things, but invites others to appreciate them as well. Similarly, the psalm calls those who have reflected on the steadfast love of God to not only thank God for it, but to tell others about it. He already mentions this in verse 2 when he says, let the redeemed of Yahweh say so. But he also develops this idea of a public declaration in the progression of the second refrain. He says, let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. This refrain in the first two scenes goes on to summarize why they should give thanks. But in the third and fourth scenes, it switches from the why and then it talks about the how. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 22. He says, And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in the songs of joy. And then in verse 32, Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. See, you might have tried to argue that thanksgiving meant it was meant to be private and personal, but here he leaves no room to doubt. He's saying, make it known. Look what God has done. I was a wretch. I was a wreck, but now I have no blemish or speck. He paid, my, he paid the price. He saved my life to tell his goodness I shouldn't think twice. I thought all was lost. I thought hope was gone. But friends, look what God has done. Church, to be a witness of the steadfast love of God is not just a duty, but it's an incredible privilege to give credit where it's due. This is part of the reason why Christians are expected to share their reason for hope with others. I think it's really sad that we find it more natural to talk about our hobbies or the latest movies or even the weather than to talk about Jesus. I'm guilty of that as well. But the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is now all about Christ. It should be. If we rightly saw our utter dependence on him, we would be more thankful. An author, Jason Mayer, writes, The cross reveals what we deserve from God. We cannot receive the grace of Christ apart from seeing and embracing the undeserved disgrace of Christ. Jesus took our disgrace and gave us his grace. Why would we keep that a secret? The refrain of the psalm teaches us that those who draw near to the Lord by faith and cry out to him in their trouble are saved. 
This is true in our physical distress, but more importantly, it's true as far as our souls are concerned. My wife and I just had to renew our mortgage at a crazy interest rate compared to where it was five years ago. But at least it's something we can eventually pay off maybe when we're 50 or something. But here's the thing. The debt we all owe as a result of our sins is something that we could never repay no matter how long we work for it. This is more frightening than famine more deadly than drought, more serious than sickness, more worrying than waves. This is your very soul at stake. In our sin, we all turn from God, choosing to live however way we want and refusing to honor him or give him thanks, even though we see the evidence all around us. But here's the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his own Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This son, Jesus Christ, lived for the glory of God rather than trying to steal God's glory like we often try to. He died the death we deserve as glory thieves on the cross and was raised on the third day. He is the embodiment of the steadfast love of God, his unwavering commitment to those he has chosen to draw near to. Because of what Jesus has done, the Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The refrain of the psalmist can be the refrain of your life, friend. Believe in the gospel. Let your soul cry out to the Lord in trouble and watch him deliver you from the impending distress of an eternity apart from him. And if you have called on the Lord, if you have seen what he has done, tell others about it. Share your joy and wonder with them that they might reflect on it and perhaps call upon him themselves. In order to give credit where it's due, we need to reflect and we need to respond. But we finally, we will see that this pattern should never stop, which is why we need to repeat. Do you remember how this psalm opens up? He said, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If God's goodness and steadfast love is the reason for us to give thanks, then that means our thanksgiving will never grow old. Why? Because the reason to give thanks will always be there. His steadfast love endures forever. The last section of this psalm, verses 33 to 42, is a little different from the four scenes we looked at because it steps back from specific instances and it shows us an even more general reflection of the steadfast love of God. Remember, God is always true to himself and true to his word. That is why his love is so steadfast. We're given pictures of reversals that reveal how God interacts with his creation. And what we find isn't surprising because of the scenes we have already seen. Flourishing turns into famine when people persist in sin, while the helpless are given a haven when they humble themselves before him. Christian brothers and sisters, 
What we see here is a portrait of a God who reigns sovereign over his creation. He is the one who determines the fortunes of all people, especially his own. So whether it's by discipline or by design, his steadfast love orders your circumstances. And that is why giving thanks to God should always be on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. But perhaps you find yourself in your season of distress right now. I mean, it's easy to thank God and to sing praises when you're out of trouble, but what are you supposed to do when you're in trouble? If this is you, I think there are two lessons in this psalm you can take. The first is to follow the pattern of the refrain. Those who were in need cried out to God in their trouble, and so you can too. Just because we believe that God is sovereign and in control doesn't mean you resign yourself to whatever you're going through. His steadfast love is the basis for which you can draw near to him and seek his help. Cry out to the Lord. Throw yourself upon his mercy. Bank on his steadfast love for his people. Save me, Lord, or I die. The second lesson is to remember that What is being celebrated here is the fact that God will always, God will always act according to his steadfast love, not that he will always act in the same way. This means that you celebrate his character, not your circumstances. We can struggle with this because we tend to be insecure about God's character and care for us. I mean, Yes, I I know he has been faithful this last a hundred times, but there's something about this one. It seems too big. I don't know if God can do it. Friend, his steadfast love endures forever. Don't judge his character by your circumstances. Judge your circumstances by his character. See, God has already shown you his unwavering commitment by giving his only son to save you. If he didn't shrink back from paying the steepest price for your soul, why do you think he will hesitate to care for you now? This doesn't mean that you will always get what you want or that things will always work out the way you expect, but it does mean that his providence for you is always working for your good. But how am I supposed to give thanks when I don't feel thankful for what I'm dealing with? It might be helpful to remember then that thankfulness is not a suggestion for the Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Giving thanks isn't about how we feel. Our feelings don't always reflect reality. We often react to what's on the forefront of our minds rather than the panorama that is our whole life. In fact, author Ruben Bredenhoff writes, as far as feelings go, perhaps it is easy or natural for anyone to have a sentiment that borders on thankfulness. After a hearty meal or a productive day at work, we sit back and say, boy, I sure am thankful. I have been blessed. 
It's an appropriate feeling, but because of the nature of our hearts, the feeling quickly dissipates and the emotion subsides. Soon, the good things that have been granted are soon taken for granted. We give thanks to God for his steadfast love. We celebrate his character because it is constant, even when we don't feel like it. Now, this doesn't mean that we fake it, but rather it means that we are called to walk in obedience. This is where reflecting on God's steadfast love is so helpful. We remind ourselves of his unwavering commitment and thank him for it, even while we wrestle with our current troubles and seek his help and deliverance. Friends, we must guard our hearts against ingratitude. It is not a lifestyle choice. It is a sin. Paul lists it as a sin in 2 Timothy 3, right next to unholiness. He says, unholy, ungrateful. Now, there can be many reasons for ingratitude. Here are some examples. A sense of entitlement. We think we deserve what we have, so we don't need to thank anyone for it. Unmet expectations. When what we received isn't what we wanted from God, so we don't feel grateful. Forgetfulness. We are so preoccupied by different things that we simply don't take time to reflect on God's goodness. Difficult circumstances. The current trials that block our ability to see God's faithfulness in the past. And even keeping ungrateful company. When the people around us tend to complain more than give thanks, so we learn to express grumbling rather than gratitude. With these and many other causes of ingratitude, it's no wonder that we have to be intentional about cultivating grateful hearts. Sam Crabtree in his book, Practicing Thankfulness, writes, just as a fire eventually flickers and dies out if left untended, gratitude can easily weaken and fade away if ignored in a world of distractions, busyness, and painful troubles. Daily life throws cold water on the smoldering embers of gratefulness in our hearts. How will you make sure to cultivate thanksgiving in your life that goes beyond a mere holiday? Christians are meant to be given thanks always and in every circumstance, so we need to think about this. Here are some suggestions. You could keep a journal. A lot of you like journaling. I not so much, but that's a way you could do it. Keep a journal of all the things God has done in your life and in the life of others to, and show thanks for it. You could set apart a time of prayer where you focus on simply thanking God for what he has done rather than asking him for stuff. You could be intentional about expressing gratitude to those who do something nice for you or something that you appreciate. Or you could take a few moments to really give thanks and not say the same routine prayer before you eat your meal. Or you could meditate on what Jesus dying on the cross meant for him and what it means for you. There are a variety of ways to cultivate thankfulness, but it is vital to remember to give credit where it's due. 
We need to reflect on the steadfast love of God and respond rightly by thanking him for it and telling others about it. If Harvard is right, and gratitude is a way for people to appreciate what they have instead of always reaching for something new in the hopes that it will make them happier, then I think it's safe to say that we all need to be more grateful. But only those who know the steadfast love of God will be able to truly give credit where it's due. So church, as you enjoy this Thanksgiving holiday, remember to praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray. O oh, gracious God, from your hand flows immeasurable kindness and innumerable blessings. You have given us way more than we deserve, and most of the time it goes unnoticed. Please, God, forgive us. Father, please forgive us for all the different ways that we, rather than cultivating gratitude, we excuse our ingratitude. Oh God, you have shown how kind and gracious you are in creation all around us. The fact that we are all here today is a testimony to your kindness. And yet the greatest show of love we see is on the cross where the very Son of God gave up his life for us. We could never repay what Jesus has done for us. And as if that wasn't enough, you continue to bless us day after day with breath and life and even temporal blessings. Oh God, we thank you for these things. We ask that you would help us to meditate on how good and kind and loving you are and let that inform our hearts to be grateful. Please teach us what it means to grow in gratitude in our individual lives that we might do this in Christ for your glory. In his name we pray, amen.